here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of The Spiritual Spiral. Thrilled you're here today, stoked you're listening. It's an amazing show today, people, so I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're here. A wonderful conversation with my friend Tim Kobza. Boy, it's it's just it was such a great talk, so I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. It's amazing to speak to fellow musicians about not only their craft, but trying to navigate creativity through this strange, complex world of tech, social media, and dwindling attention spans. I, I think when I created this show almost two, two years ago, it was probably about 20 months ago, I was really at a crossroads creatively trying to figure out how to navigate a world where people are staring at their phones all day, their attention spans are shrinking. What does it take to get an audience's attention? And now with you know the pandemic and people staying home and using their phones and technology technological devices even more, I think it's even more challenging now to get an audience's attention. And so we talk about, of course, tech and social media and creativity, but Tim also has a record that just came out on Bandcamp. It's called Montecito Heights. You can find it at timcobza.bandcamp.com. It hits Spotify and iTunes at the end of the month, I think May 25th. But I really wanted to talk about this record also. I mean, to me, this episode really sort of embodies... I guess the intention behind my show, I want to learn more about people's creative process and also try and sort of figure out what people are doing to try and get music heard. So I just, I don't know. I just thought it was a wonderful talk. I've known Tim for, I don't know, maybe like maybe seven, eight years. He's, he's played shows with me. He played acoustic guitar on a song on my upcoming record. He's just a great guy. He's an amazing musician, and this record, Montecito Heights, definitely, definitely check it out on Bandcamp. Eventually, it hit Spotify and iTunes in a few weeks, but I don't know. There was just something about the record that it really, it captures this fun spontaneity, but there's also just some great hooks, some great melodies, some great musicianship, not only his playing, but just the band that he's playing with. I, I don't know. I was just really impressed. And and so sprinkled throughout the episode today will be, of course, music from that record. And I end the show with my favorite song off the record. It's called Lockdown Fatigue. So I think I think we can all relate to that a little bit. But anyway, so you can find the record, as I said, at Tim Kobza. .bandcamp.com. You find him on Instagram, Tim Kobza. I'll obviously put all of this in the notes for the episode. Just a wonderful talk. And, and I guess one thing I was thinking before I let you go, I just finished watching Top Chef. And I'm certainly not a cook, but I, I think I've realized, and I used to like to show the actor's studio with James Lipman or Lipman, I forget his name, but I, maybe I'm unusual, but I've always been curious and intrigued about the creative process. You know, we live in this world now where everybody 
thinks they have the answer or everybody needs everything explained. You know, everything needs to be visible. Everybody has a point of view, a perspective. And I think there's this mystery in life. There's this mystery in creation that you can't explain. But I still like to try and hear other people's stories about what they're creating, where it came from, what inspired them. And and although sometimes you still can't explain it, I'm so intrigued by other artists' stories. It's another big reason why I created the show. I think there are so many stories out there that need to be heard. And we all meet these people in our lives, but I, I sadly feel like people are staring at their phones or not showing a curiosity or interest anymore. So I think I'm realizing as I was watching Top Chef tonight and then speaking with Tim last week for my show, I think it's important for us to hold on to that curiosity, ask questions and and be intrigued. Find something that makes you want to ask questions. For me, it's of, of many things for me, I'm intrigued and interested in the creative process. I like to know what other people are thinking or what inspires them to write a record or you know, in the, in the case of Top Chef, what inspires them to create a dish? So I, I don't know. I just, I think it's a great talk, a great reminder for me about continuing asking questions and, and understanding other people's process. So you know where to find me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn, on Twitter at Eddie Cohn. You know I have some new music that's slowly coming out. I'm actually releasing a new song on Spotify and iTunes called Animals, but it's actually on my Bandcamp right now, eddiecohn.bandcamp.com. You can follow me on YouTube where the new music video is going to be coming out, my website, iameddiecohn.com. Any questions, comments about the show, please reach out on Instagram at Eddie Cohn. Thanks so much, Tim, for taking the time to speak to me. I I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And as always, thank you so much to you for taking the time to listen and be a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Love it, man. How's that sound? Keep it it going. This is is great. (laughs) Tim, it was good talking, dude. I'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me let me turn my phone off. I the only reason I had it on is because I didn't want to forget the name of the song. Um, Lockdown, say something. Lockdown fatigue. Lockdown that fatigue, one? dude. That that song is really freaking awesome. 
Man, thank you so much. Thanks for making it deep into the record list. There's a lot of songs on there. I get it. Well, there's a lot that I just really, I mean, I want to keep talking more about the album, but one thing that's so cool about the songs is it's like, and I'm trying to say this in the most complimentary way, and I'm going to say it in the sense that we're so ADHD now that the songs really, if you stick till the end of the song, it's like a huge payoff. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thank you for saying that. You know, that that is definitely the goal. Uh, whether or not people have the patience to make it through all of the song or the record, you know, it's what came out during COVID. Yeah. So um, it was nice to have that time, you know, to uh, take some songs. Most of those are new pieces, but some of them were started pre-COVID and they were just fragments that I yeah. hadn't finished. Well, and, 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 so, I, and I mean that in the sense that, like, there's some really amazing uh, good keyboard and synthesizer work, and and you you hold the song steady, and you're sort of like the um, like the foundation, and then out of nowhere towards the end, it's sort of like these songs like explode into these freaking really cool like 70s 80s sort of more 70s like um just vibes it's it's i was i'm i'm not saying this dude just because you've played with me before and we've played out it it, it was it's really good it's a great album i made it through like eight or nine songs so far and i'm yeah, yeah i'm i'm digging it thanks so much yeah you know the goal is to play some of this live and kind of put together looser um, pieces of like formal information and then kind of like when we play with you stretch jam you know take them to to other places and so but yeah man I had a blast doing it the compositional side of it is always front and center for me <clears throat> you know in terms of like taking the listener on a journey of sorts and 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 having a little payoff and you know, taking it somewhere exciting and new and new turns, you know, unexpected places and turns. Well, I, I was like I was thinking, like, how much of the songs were, you know, scripted, per se, because it does feel like you kind of had this, uh, you know, structure per se, but then it sort of does sort of unfold and feel loose. I mean, I don't know. That's the vibe I got. But how or how much of it was very sort of this is it. I don't know. I, th I would say none of it. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah. It, it all comes out of improvisational material, you know, like um, I like to have stuff to play off of, you know, kind of like when we play, you know, like yeah. playing with you and Adam and a great bass player is going to take me places as a reaction and a, uh, you know, collaboration in the moment. And these songs kind of, I tried to sim simulate that kind of being in the the lone zone, you know, like yeah. I'm alone kind of, you know, we're not jamming together, though some of the tunes were spawned out of some some jams that I did with Jake Reed. Sure. Right. So, I mean, so him and I improvising just even me on bass or me on guitar and just playing groove ideas. And then I would record things and then take them home, cut them up, you know, the patchwork sort of, you know, collage effect where I like this one fragment, this one moment, I'll cut that. And that will lead in my mind to the next section. I'll write that out. 
Hmm. You know, I mean, it's very, I try to be um, organic like that when I create music. I'm not a formal organizer. I didn't bring one page of music that was pre-written to any of the, or send it out to anybody except after it was on tape, right? Wow. I didn't sit down and put pen to paper. I put guitar and grooves together and then I uh, sorted it out later when I had to send out charts to players. Okay. It's, it's, that makes sense. <laughs> well, a little bit, I guess. It's just, it's interesting. You know, when I write a song, I don't, I have the intention of writing a song where I know I'm going to sing over it normally. You know, some of the songs on this new record I have coming out, um, they kind of, I was just sort of jamming, and then all of a sudden my brain has that melodic thing where it just sort of creates a melody. So, in, in your world where, I mean, I know there's one song, and I forget the name of it, but also great, like it's the third or fourth song where there is a vocalist, and it's yeah. she's great. Yeah. Um, but in your world, are, are you sort of acting as though my guitar playing or, or the melodies I'm playing, that's sort of like the voice of the song? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I would like to think that the song, the composition with the melodic and harmonic and rhythmic elements make sense in a conventional sort of instrumental song form yeah. for the most part. Yeah. So there's melodies, guitar forward, you know, some of the tunes have sax player and, and keyboard, you know, that are carrying the melody at times. But uh, this record I wanted, I haven't done a record where I was like featured guitarist in a long time. I've been working on other people's music, a lot of singer-songwriter stuff, yeah. uh, collaborating. And I wanted this one to be sort of a throwback to kind of my instrumental Motorico improvisational bass jam band uh, jazz funk thing, which I love, you know. I love when a, I love playing instrumental music anyway. Not that I don't love playing with great singers. I just, as far as like my voice on guitar I wanted to do one that was sort of in that sort of guitar feature world. Yeah. The only thing I, I wanted was I wanted a margarita while I was listening. No, it yeah. do, it's funny when I, I DJ and, and th a lot of those songs like were sort of like poolside vibe. I need a margarita. The beach is out there. I mean, it, I'm telling you, dude, I, I was really stoked, stoked on the record. That's great to hear, man. I kind of always want to come from a dance, feel good you know, party kind of like uplifting place. There's a couple of darker tunes on there that are more ballady and esoteric and ambient. But I always love, you know, groove because I I've seen the power of it before when, you know, you're playing that kind of music that makes people kind of move. And yeah. when you get a bunch of people out there and you get a good band playing it, 
it's a it's a great uplifting feeling and so a lot of those themes you know that those kind of grooves and stuff i wanted to be i wanted to evoke you know hey let's let's kick it and have yeah. a good time my old band was motorico that i had uh we did two albums and it was with john molo on drums okay. and bobby reed and john dearth both horn players from charlottesville we had a little run we toured a bit but that's where i sort of got my footing for the kind of jam band you know festival kind of party funk jazz as you know we played with all kinds of great bands that were doing this thing and i was like oh i love this i love the fact that you can stretch musically yet connect with an audience you know it's not straight ahead jazz it's it's more from the groove element so i had a couple ideas that i had started that we never finished or i never finished so i took those i fleshed them out and then i before COVID, I went over to Jake's. Okay, so this I, was before. Yeah, a couple of them. Okay. A handful of them were done uh, before with Jake. I went over with the click track and the framework, and I told him basically what I was going for, and then he just he did his thing. Then I took those home, cut yeah. those up a little bit, added more material to it. And then, like I said, a couple of them came from uh, jams that Jake and I did that were just roll tape, and I'm going to improvise some guitar things and bass things. I guess, you know what I'm so impressed by? Um, you've sort of made this jam type of music feel structured. <laughs> Thanks. And I don't know how, like, I, I'm, 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 like, you're explaining it to me, but I have no idea how you did it. Like, like, like to me, I, my, again, I'm, I'm not trying to personalize it too much here because this is more about you, but, I, you know, I have this intention of, you know, there's, this is kind of a verse and I know the chorus should be coming up soon and I got to be in and out in like three and four, three to four minutes. You know, maybe if I want to be a little wild, I'll make it five minutes. But, you know, I, I, there's, there's, there's a definitely a succinct structure. And with a jam instrumental sort of album and song, you know, if you're not careful, it could just sort of just, just be noodling. And, and to me, that's just, really boring if if you're not there in the like at a live thing and you've had some drinks i mean that could be fun but you right. you've managed to sort of create a instrumental rock kind of jam album but it also feels very compact and succinct and structured i don't know how you did it man i spent a lot of time thinking of these very things you know hmm. first of all i didn't want to bore anybody and second of all i have a very I have a very refined sense of form and, you know, kind of my own structural things that I've grown up with through the music that I love. Right. So I feel like I have a good sense of form and kind of how I want to arc the song. So I'm like, I like hooks, first of all. Hmm. I love melodic hooks. I think that's I think there's an art form in writing hooks melodically anyway and rhythmically. So. I was trying to combine that into song form. So there is structure. There's like verse. There's a little pre-chorus thing. Then it goes to a chorus. And then it might go to the verse and the chorus. And then some weird bridge that's like, yeah. a, that's like a segue moment that might be just dropped out of the, from another planet in totally non-related. Clear the palette with something interesting. And then go and maybe play something out. You know, so I had time during during this time to actually get into the music, I, I'm usually pretty busy and my energy gets all dis, dispersed. 
and to be able to focus on music like that and really be intentional with sort of, hey, I like this idea. I kind of want to finish this song. Hmm. It was so, it was incredible. It made me really happy. So, you know, faring through the COVID thing for me was like, it, I tried to maximize it on that level. You know, I was like, hey, I really want, I want to do a record during this time. I set out early. I was like, I'm going to finish these songs. Hmm. I'm going to write a few more and I'm going to finish. And it turned out, I still have a, a few left to mix, but um, of the 13 that are on that record, I think yeah. I'm going to leave those kind of intact like that. going to make this record did you have plans to make this record and then sort of like but you know things always get in the way because we're working and gigs and everything but then was this sort of like the straw that something that broke the camel's back we were like oh wait that thing that i've been thinking about i can i can finally do it yeah okay totally that's yeah. exactly what happened yeah i was like wow i'm gonna be working from home because i'm still teaching a lot but you know, just let's just take the commuting hours that you're not doing and throw those into two or three hours a day where you're actually focused on tracking, writing and organizing and recording. Um, and, and let's multiply that by 365 plus days. And, you know, if and I was having fun with it. So I was like inspired to keep returning. Hmm. You know, I'd work on one song and I'd be like, OK, I got to put this away go to the next one, come back to that one and go, oh, I was on to something cool. I think I'm going to finish. And this section leads me over here. So it was great, man. I I highly recommended it to all my students. You know, I was like, hey, you need to take this time and knock out a creative project. Like it'll make you feel a sense of accomplishment. And also every time I do one of these projects where I have to kind of go deeper, I always grow musically and yeah. It's just such a luxury to be able to do that. Is know? this your first solo record? Well, it kind of is. I mean, I've done a few things in the past, like my Motorico albums, which I was sort of the co-founder of that band. So we did two records. Um, one was on Verve. Um, it was the Blue Thumb imprint on Verve. And that one came out on a major label, sort of, so to speak. And then we put out another one after that, after we got dropped, because they didn't know what to do with us. Yeah. Which is no fault of theirs. I mean, our music is so niche. And um, to break through in that scene, you really have to commit to being on the road a lot. You have to play. Oh, yeah. You have to gain your audience. You know, you have to go to festivals, college towns, and then come back, you know. And we're all busy. And uh it was fun though. It was really a blast. We did a number of tours. Then we cut another record, and that one is cool too. It's just different. Yeah. But um, to answer your question, I did one Christmas album with my name on it. Um, my mom really wanted me to do that. Yeah. 
And it was awesome. I mean, that is like my hit record, let me tell you. Like, people like that. Yeah. And, and the people that have gotten into that album, like, they're like, it's in my every year rotation. And that means a lot to me. Because Definitely. that one was sort of a bridge between my Dallas world and my LA world yeah. when I moved here from Dallas. But anyway, um, I haven't done like a Tim Cobb's a featured record. I've been, like I said, involved in some other projects. I'm, I don't mind taking a back seat to all the talent that I work with. I'm cool with like, but this one, I was like, you know what? It's time. Yeah. <laughs> I want to do this one for me. And I, I'm so, I'm so happy I did it. And I'm hoping that I can play it live at some yeah. point or, or parts of it. Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to compliment you first and then ask you an, sort of a couple more things about this area of, of your record. But it's so funny. I've, I'm randomly watching Arrested Development the, um, and John, a John Hyatt song came on. Were you a John Hyatt fan or Chris Whitley? Yeah, I love I love John Hyatt. Okay, Drive okay. South and some yeah. of those like amazing songs like Americana. Yeah, you just best. you just remind me of of that. So I guess um, my first compliment again about this, you're playing. It's just it's it's funny, but it's not the record isn't about you. I mean, it, it clearly shows your abilities and skills, but you really do have this way of letting the songs. And and that's why you know you you uh, introduced me to Jake, uh, Adam we've played with, and I, I feel like I've been lucky to be around people that are playing, you know, the song, and they're not like making it about them. And although it says Tim Kobza, it, you know, it it feels like it's a it's a very thoughtful approach to your you know your music. Yeah, again, that's a great observation. Honestly. The people I had on that record, it's incredible. And they brought so much magic. You know, I guess that's why we reach out to people, right? Yeah. You know, like, hey, I think I'm going to go over to Jake's. And, and I know that if I present this to him, he's going to bring unseen magic. Nothing that I could ever tell him on a page could could uh, be better than than his instincts because and Kate, his wife Kate. Oh yeah, Dutton, I was wondering if she did the keyboard playing. Yeah, oh, she did a bunch of keyboards. Wow, uh, Brian Hargrove, Brian Hargrove played keyboards. An old buddy of mine who I'd lost track with, uh, who now lives in Greece, Arlen Shirebaum or Arlen Oscar as he's he goes by. I found him. He's in Greece. Yeah. He took all his vintage keyboards. Wow. And and went there and got married and he's happily, you know, living on some amazing property, growing food and like looking at the ocean. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. There you go. But anyway, he he contributed amazing stuff. The drums, of course, Herman Herman Matthews, um, Jake Reed, Aron Serfati, those guys are all world class. And so I knew that all I have to do is present them with something kind of organized that they yeah. can do their thing on. Um, the, the horn players were incredible. Wes Smith, sax player, Wayne Bergeron, uh, trumpet player. Um, some of my guys back in Omaha, Matt Wallace. Um, he's a guy I played with growing up, basically, wow. in, in my hometown, right? So I got some hometown <laughs> players involved. A bunch of people came to the party from, from Omaha uh, John Hegg, who I play with in this like holiday touring group 
from South Dakota mixed a couple of the songs. So I wanted to call it, I was going to call it the Tim Cobbs a collective because I was thinking that it, that better represents actually what's, what the truth is. I mean, yes, I put the framework together, but the pieces were filled in by world-class people who happen to be, you know, my friends and yeah. people I work with a lot. So it's, it's incredible, you know? It's funny because my my album is finally done. Like we finished it about a week or two ago, and I'm going to release another single in a few weeks, uh, and the record will finally come out in probably like July or August. But I, I have felt a, a pretty heavy level of sadness um, because this process has been um, so amazing. You know, I I love making music, and it's like this sort of indescribable experience where you know i'm asking you questions about how you are possibly putting this record together and and the reality is is that sometimes you, you can't even explain it you know it's sort of this puzzle that you somehow it, it just it it miraculously comes together and and so it's like now everybody has to like you know, hope, you know, it's weird. I want people to hear it, but then are people going to hear it? And then it's like the streams, how many streams and what do I have to do to get people to listen to it? And it's like as much joy as I have making music. I mean, of course, I want people to hear it. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. Do you what has been your sort of relationship with coming close to the end of being done, then being done and then releasing it? And I mean, are you experiencing any of these things that I am or no? Yeah, definitely. There, I have a, a lot of trepidation in terms of how I'm going to release it. It's been, it's been next level brain damage, like thinking, you know, I basically want to kick this stuff out into the universe and let it find its way, kind of like what we're doing tonight. I mean, this is amazing. Like the fact that you're, you're allowing me to talk about this this project i really appreciate it because yeah. i'm hoping that it is enticing enough for certain people obviously it's not for everybody but i'm hoping the people that that find it that are looking for this kind of stuff find it and that it just finds its way but to answer your question yeah i mean now i'm looking at like wow how do i get up the how do, first of all, I think it turned out really good. I'm, I'm proud of it. And the more distance I get from it, the better it gets, you know, because mm. when you're in it, you're like, oh, oh yeah. overthinking every little, every little note choice. But yeah. now that I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh man, this is a great piece of work. I'm proud of it. So now I'm thinking, how do I muster up the uh, inspiration to try to do the next project uh, and when? I mean, I don't know that the world is clamoring for it, for sure not. But I'm just saying for me to grow as an artist and sort of to to walk the walk. Like I said, I've been doing a ton of music and I forgot to mention that most of my production and writing that I've been doing in the last 10 years has been for my uh, TV and film library, yeah. which, which I'm always contributing to. So I haven't been dormant on the Tim Cobes' stuff, but this one's an artist release. And there is sadness. There is a bit of like, man, first of all, what if nobody hears it, you know? And what if it doesn't get into the right hands or ears? And 
do I, how much do I need to push it from my end on social media to drive the point home that I want people to at least give it a listen? Yeah. And man, it's hard. It's really hard. And do I need to hire a third party company to, to figure it all out? You know, I put this much into it. I'm certainly willing to invest something in the next chapter, but I do have a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried about the fact that I'm not going to, it's not going to get to the right people that I, that I want it to, to get to. Well, <laughs> this is, and this is the conundrum that I have with, you know, what's happened to the record industry, you know, so many, you know, people in PR like TuneCore or Spotify will say like, oh, you know, anybody can record a song and put it out there in Spotify. But it's like, I somebody, my last guest told me something like 40, 50,000 songs released on Spotify every week. And it's sort of like, how do you break through the noise? And that's where the labels were needed because, you know, they had $500,000 to put a marketing plan together for Tim and give you money to go on the road and open for Rush or I'm just, I know Rush doesn't tour anymore, but I'm just throwing them out there or something. Yeah. Because, you know, maybe Rush's fans would dig with, you know, dig to your music and then, it, it, you know, this stuff takes time. And it's sort of like now artists are, and I don't say this in any sort of like woe is me attitude, but, you know, if you're gonna spend a thousand dollars on a song you certainly have to spend, you have to figure out a figure in your head, whether it's half of that or the same amount of money it costs to record a song, you have to put that same amount of money into PR, maybe some Instagram ads or something, because you're right, it's like, you do all of this for yourself, but it sure would be nice if, if people hear it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I'm always talking to my students that are producers and artists about this same thing. It's all fun and games, making the music. You know, that tickles the brain. You know, that's that that's that right brain, you know, just dancing in its natural state. You know, we love creating it. But then it, there's the hard work of strategically navigating what we call the independent music market and getting it on playlists and getting it into, you know, blog, getting it blogged about and getting it into the proper curator's hands. And... Uh, yeah, it's tough. And I agree. You need to invest an equal amount, if not more, yeah. in that side of it. Or, you know, what's the point? Like, I really, man, it, it brings up quite a, a subject, which is the book on this is still being written. And it, it changes. The goalpost is moving every day as far as how an independent artist is to properly release a song so it just doesn't you know sit there un unheard
I, I feel through my experience, at least now, you've got to stretch it out as long as you can. Like, I, I released a video, my first single in October, and then I did like a few remixes. And here we are, May, I'm finally releasing the second single. So that's like, oh no, I'm sorry, I released it in December. So that's like five months. And it's like maybe, you know, something in that time will catch wind. And, you know, if you if you like pump a little bit of money into each single, I think maybe it could create a little bit more um, eyeballs of some sort. I don't know. I guess, I guess my feeling is if you spend two years on a record and then you just release the whole thing, it's like, okay, well, within a month, that, that's it. It's done. Yeah. You know, you're... you're I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I'm no, wrong. No, you're. Right. I think you're totally right. And and I I have definitely. I'm gonna probably take the drop the whole thing, but I will. I'll probably do a select single promotion on social media. You know, yeah. I'll just be like, highlight one song, talk about it a little bit, say who played on it. Um, that's that's my kind of like lazy person's strategy in terms of that well it's not lazy though because and again i don't i I know this can come across as being negative but it's just it's it's such a different part of the brain and it's exhausting and it's it's just it's not what i'm made to do i know i know that's why we need help we need teams that's why you know those kind of people that are sorting this out and making it affordable to promote independent artists are doing really well right now because every all of us need that team and it's got to be somewhat affordable and you know and also you have to get something out of it so first of all i really think it's about the music you know and i i always stand by this i think good music will find its way out into the universe um unfortunately there's a lot of bad music well sorry sorry I'm just saying there's a lot of mediocre music to sort through. Like you said, 40,000 songs coming out every week. Um, yeah. So <laughs> at least if the quality is there and there's, you know, your audience, you know, your market, you know, who your sort of target people are. Um, you can, I think that helps a lot. And if it, it's competitive, sonically mixed, mastered, produced um if it if it fits those things i think you have a a really good shot of getting in the mix with it yeah it's when something one piece of that puzzle is is not happening like the artist is not a great appealing singer or the song is not ready for prime time or the mix is too lo-fi or you know it's not mastered which you get a lot of yeah what's what do you teach at usc I teach, well, guitar is my specialty, right? But I work in two different departments. I work in the studio jazz guitar program. I work with like pop guitar majors, popular music. I work with jazz studies, guitarists, and we have a big graduate program. So I work with the graduate students, you know, people coming for their master's and doctorate in guitar performance. Yeah. And I work with ensembles. Um, I I work with like guitar ensembles where we arrange for like four or five guitars. Uh, or I work with pop ensembles working uh, classic repertoire, everything from like 50s all the way to current. 
uh, I, I work with a bunch of producers, um, production majors. So we talk about production. We talk about the guitar's role in production, guitar and bass. We talk about uh, writing lead sheets and scores and, you know, technical things that sort of give put literacy into the into the mix you know like yeah. music writing and reading so that it's not all just laptop and feel so there's some traditional element to it let me I ask you work, oh, yeah go ahead. no i was thinking this is something that i ask myself and think about with you know trained educated musicians that you know went to school to study music like i, I didn't and obviously you know kurt cobain didn't go to music school and so, you know, I music is this strange phenomenon where I understand like my ears don't work as well as my mixer, and he hear thing he hears things that like certain hertzes and things that I just I, I'm a I'm a feel guy, you know I I just like I come from I'm just this feels right to me I can't explain it but it just uh, I'm I'm digging it. And so I just wonder, like, do you ever have this conversation with students where if you're not careful, like you have to find that happy medium of understanding the technicalities of things, but you don't want to get too caught up, caught up in it because you're going to be thinking so much about like the technicalities of something that's supposed to be spontaneous, potentially, that you're, you're forgetting about just like the feel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> Like expand upon yeah. that. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah. Don't let the education get in the way of good music, right? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think it's always at the forefront of the conversation. You know, I really believe there's two sides of the brain, and uh, trying to things like reading and like reading on guitar or learning theory and then applying it to guitar and improvisation and learning shapes and harmony, you know, more extended harmony. All that stuff is, is a combination of the right and left brain. Right. And yeah. so most of the music feel wise things you write, things that come off the, the top of your head, you know, melodies and, and grooves and things, I think that comes from a place in your brain that is quite polar opposite to the part of your brain when you start trying to read a single line on guitar. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so there is a bit of a disconnect for a lot of students. Um, in our program, most of them are coming from that feel place primarily. Reading might not be, literacy might not be their strong point. They might be amazing x-factor singers or guitarists or writers or producers but when you put music in front of them you know it's the old adage how do you get a guitar player to turn down put music in front of them you know right. yeah so our students in this contemporary division i think are coming more from that side of it maybe opposite of say class some of the classical students who come in and those guys grow up guys and gals grow up reading music so they're 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 more dialed in on that other side of the brain yeah and um, they might not be able to improvise as well you know you put a chord change in front of them and they might not be able to create something on the fly like one of the contemporary division improvisers could so 
but yeah. You, yeah. I think, I think music trumps all, you know, I, I think good music and, and coming from your instinctual place, a place of, um, a place that is built from all of the music that you've grown up with and that you love. And it comes out in this, like, it comes out in this thing that you call your own music. I think that's really the predominant, uh, modus of operation in our program yeah which is a good thing it's the other part of it that's hard for most of the students right right reading and writing your music well it's it's tricky to sort of add a mathematical structured sort of nuance to something that it's like you know somehow compartmentalizing the grand canyon or something it's like you yeah, know, why, right. why ruin that? You know, you're totally right. And, and why? I mean, there's no reason to, like I said, most of my stuff doesn't come from, from pen and paper. It's like, it, it, I like the way notes and rhythms sound together. So I put them down and then I analyze them later, hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. then I sort them out on paper if somebody needs to read them. So yeah, it's, uh, it's really fascinating stuff, but Music is primal. It comes from a primal place, a creative place. In every everybody has that, you know, tap into the creative side, and it's you don't want to get in the way of that. And I don't think just because it's music school, you know, that 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 is getting in the way of it. I think it's opening more channels for that. To be mm. honest with you. fills various roles in my life but for sure one of them became um, as I introduce people onto the show and and just musicians and artists anything I can do to bring more awareness to talented people um, I, I just I, I feel good about that and I think there's as we said there's just so much um, I don't want to just blanketly say garbage but I, I think there's a manipul manipulative force out there that's sort of controlling, you know, what the masses of people should be listening to. And I think they're not really interested in quality. I think they're interested in something else. You know, there, you know, there's like this, this amazing uh, Masego, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. And then like Anderson Pock, it's like, yeah, you know, these, these guys are amazing. And I think Anderson's finally with this Bruno Mars project that he's working on is finally going to become just like huge. Yeah. But, you know, I just feel like those types of people aren't, um, 
supported in the strange way. Like, you know, um, I don't know. I just, I listened to a lot of the top 40 and like the top 50 hits on Spotify or something. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? This is just not, um, doesn't make any sense. So I, I just, I think it's weird. I feel like we have, we have a strange responsibility to share something. Like it's weird. It's, it's not a lot to ask somebody to share something, but if you think something's good, share it with somebody. You know, I remember when we used to make, you know, mixtapes or CDs or something. And like, I put a lot of thought into that, like 60 minute (laughs) CD or something. And I gave it and people actually, you know, eagerly listen to a mix CD or mixtape. So I I don't know. I just feel like we got to figure out a way to get people interested in, in good quality art and music. I know. Well, they don't make it easy, you know, to, to, live an art lifestyle, you know, especially in LA. Yeah. Um, I personally feel that we are in a golden age of music. Like, Mm. especially now, everybody gravitated toward, toward Dawes learning Mm. logic, you know, buying a laptop and getting your studio together. I, I mean, can you imagine how many people that previously didn't have, a DAW to record their music into, or even, you know, they didn't, they didn't have permission to create things in their own laptop studio that are now, you know, make producing music. Not that it's all great. Not, not that it's ready for prime time. Some of, but the fact that people are exercising their creative uh, God given gift on a much more to me, a much more prolific level now than, than before. Like everybody, yeah, everybody's doing it. And, and I really feel like it's gonna, I think it's gonna pay off. Um, I'm not quite as dark on the pop music scene. There's a lot of it I like, there's some of it I don't like. And if I go deep into certain genres, I find that there's some amazing music being made and way more of it than I can even take in. Plus, I have the luxury of having young 20-year-old students who are on top of every musical movement possible showing me select artists and music to listen to so I can cut through the through some of it and get to the stuff that um that I might like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so I I'm pretty optimistic actually and so but getting it out there, man, and, and getting it supported is a whole other conversation. You're like It's our conversation we're having. It's like how, how can we – it really comes down to our music needs to be able to be monetized on some level that makes it affordable to keep on doing it. You know, it can't always be a project we come out of pocket for. It just can't. Yeah. So, so yeah. It, it's tough, man. It's really tough. And it's it's also a little disheartening to put all the work in and then really get zero response from the thousands of social media friends and you know that you, you might have as friends. You know, the actual people who will listen to your music and at least check it out. Um, I think it's hard to get their attention. Everybody's busy. There's so much short there's a a short attention span there's yeah well there's this 
there's this strange. I'm sorry if I interrupted. The, no, it's okay. No, no it's just, like, but you're rambling. I was no, rambling. But, but you know, <laughs> but that's why I feel like it's kind of a drag that it's too much to ask somebody to listen to a full record now. It's like, yeah. like I, I'm, I bought a record player. And I try like once a week to spend a couple hours listening to, you know, a full album. I mean, the funny thing is, I know you're more optimistic than I am, but I don't remember the last time that I actually listened to an album that came out in the last few years, other than maybe an Anderson Pack record, where it was something that I could leave on from song one to 10 to 12. I, I just don't think artists are... It's weird. Like, they're not thinking full <clears throat> full records anymore. And then I think... You know, in the studio, people are distracted now. They have their phone and they're like, oh, I need to post to Instagram now while I'm doing this guitar solo or something. I just I think it's disrupted creativity, music making in a, in a way that we will never fully understand. I mean, in, on the one positive and when you said DAW. Uh, I forget what it stands for, but that's like Logic and Garage yeah, Band. Yeah, Digital Audio Works. Digi- there we go. Workstation. So you know, you're right. Like for you know, Garage Band is like amazing. Logic is yeah. like 200 bucks. You know, you can get right. a a mic, a computer. You can get a pretty good freaking home studio for like five to ten thousand dollars, and that's even on the high end. That's so, real high end. Yeah, you, you can do real damage. You could probably. That. It's true. So like on that hand, absolutely incredible what we can do. But back to sort of the other world that we talk about tonight, it's like, what does it take to get somebody to spend a half an hour to listen to 10 songs? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I date myself, but, you know, buying a record and putting it on and then taking the time to go flip it over on the B side and listen to the rest. I mean, those those records were strategically planned. They were, they were not in a singles culture. They were in an album culture. It was like, yeah, there'll be singles, there'll be hits on here, but the concept for, you know, the thoughtfulness of track to track and, and all that really was part of a lot of the records that I liked mm-hmm. and still love, you know? And you're right. I mean, people are, it's hard for me to even find complete records because everybody's releasing singles. And I'm like, is this on that? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this on this album? It's really hard to find complete works of artists. Yeah. Like, this is a this is a snapshot of, you know, my work in 2020. This is what I did in the same studio with the same group of people. Here it is. Right. It's hard, sometimes it's hard to track down the complete work because it's all coming out at different times, single here, single there. And then even on Spotify, when it comes out there, it's it's sometimes hard for me to to get through, you know, until yeah. I go to the discography, then I find, you know, the track list and, and let that play. But yeah, to your point. from and then and then i'm curious about your first moment when when you were like oh music is something that i'm interested like this this is something i am curious about 
Like it could be, you know, the first time you heard a, you know, a Van Halen record or an Eddie, like some, like it did some, where are you from? And then like, give me the first awakening of music. Man, that's a great question. And, and you kind of already nailed it. I grew up in Nebraska, in mm-hmm. Omaha. Okay. And um, I was always into music since I can remember. I played piano as a kid. My mom's a piano teacher. Uh, we were all, you know, forced into our piano duty as children. And I didn't really, I didn't really get it. You know, my teacher, she didn't teach us personally. We had to go to other teachers. I didn't find them to be particularly engaging. And in fact, they're one of the reasons why I set out to be a very engaging teacher. You know, Mm. I'm I'm like, I want to make this a a very immersive and interesting experience. Even if people aren't going to be professionals, I want to, I want to make it interesting for them to progress on their instrument. So I always strove to like mix it up a little bit, but anyway, um, musical, epiphanies you know when i was a kid i was listening the first van halen record actually was the most sonically mind-blowing experience uh to drop on your turntable i thought it was this from another planet and the engineering and you know what eddie was doing of course i mean i don't even have to talk about it it's just it's a given yeah but that was a very informative record as was um some of the early pat Metheny records hmm. <clears throat> Uh, Jeff Beck wired Jeff Beck b- blow by blow. Um, Pat Metheny bright size life. Pat Metheny American Garage all the way up through First Circle and all the stuff he did with Lyle. Um, I was always into like studio players. Like Steely Dan hmm. was kind of S- Steely Dan was like every time one of those records came out, I was the first person to go buy it, and then I would study all the liner notes and go, oh man. Jeff Baxter, he must be, you know, an L.A. guy, you know, Jay Graydon. I got, who's that? Larry Carlton. Oh, I love his stuff. I'm going to go buy his solo record, you know. And so I was always kind of a studio minded. Like, I, I think I remember writing my goals as a kid um, in, in going to when I went, went off to go to college for music. I didn't go immediately from high school to music school, but I took a couple years and I remember writing my goals down and it was, my goals are, remain the same. They, they had to do with playing with the best players that I could work with, you know, like I always wanted to surround myself with like the best creative, the best songs and the best players and best singers. That was like the goal. So I figured I needed the edge, right? Yeah. I needed all the advantages. I need, oh, you need to go to music school to study music, to study jazz intimately. To, to learn how to read, to play classical guitar, is that gonna make me a better musician? Yes, it does. And that's the sort of quest I, I set out on. Um, when did you get the sense though that um, you were like, this is something that I kind of want to potentially, when were you even thinking this? Like, I, I want to make a dollar doing this or, or it wasn't even like you weren't thinking about money, but you were like, I want to do this the rest of my life. What, what when did that happen? <laughs> Man, I was pretty young. I, I was, first of all, on one other side, really quick. Yeah. Me and my buddy invested in a four track. <laughs> we bought a reel to reel four track. We were in a band together and we were both like 
songwriters, you know, we're kids and we're like, we're songwriters, you know, we saved up our money and we went and we recorded at this place called, um, oh shit, it's called, um, oh man, I can't believe I'm talking. It was owned by Chip Davis and the guys from this band called Mannheim Steamroller, sound recorders in Omaha, very famous studio. And we wrote a couple songs and we we were like, let's pull our money and we're going to go to the epicenter and record at the Mecca. And we did. We did our songs. One song. I wish I could find those tapes. One song was called Little The Little Things. Uh-huh. I, I think one of these pop rock bands ripped us off and wrote us <laughs> on Little Things like Blink-182 or yeah. Green. Anyway, the four track blew my mind. A little a four track recorder sure. where you could overdub. And you could do all this crazy stuff and and make sounds. And that blew my mind. I was like, I'm in. I love tracking. And I love what happens when you add this over this. Oh, yeah. You know? And that turned me on. That was a heavy, a heavy moment in my life. Um, Sorry, you asked another question. And I went off on that. No, it's just like... I guess. Oh, the money, like, the money. Well, not even oh, money, but, but like, I guess, yeah, but like I'm oh, going to do the monetization of gigging yeah. as a youngster yeah. was very lucrative. You know, like I was making money. <laughs> I was doing, I've been doing this thing for a living for a long time. I was playing in my high school. I was doing all the proms with my cover band. We were like the only game in town back then. So we got all the gigs. I was in a band with this kid. He had a, his dad was a booking agent, big time guy in Omaha. We played fairs. We did, we were, we were making money as, as like high school, all the way through high school. I was on the football team, but then after the game, I'd, I'd be like heading over to go play a gig at a prom. I swear to God, this happened. It was hilarious. So when I went to college in Denton, I was working too. I was teaching, I was teaching in Omaha when I was in high school teaching guitar at a mom and pop studio. So teaching and gigging has always been part of my fabric covers, Mm. blues, jazz, like improvised music, whatever. So gigging is like, so to your question, to answer it, it happened to me pretty young. I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I get paid to play guitar and you know, I'm like in count me in. Wow. And how did you get out to, um, LA what, what what was the motivation for coming out here and well I was in a band with this artist named Joe McBride from Dallas okay and this was like during the smooth jazz like heyday in the 90s I was out of college I, when I got out of college I was on the road with a, a harpist from Venezuela Carlos Guedes we had a trio mm-hmm. me on guitar Carlos on harp like harp like yeah the, but a diatonic harp that he played jazz on he, the guy was absolutely incredible mind-blowing i actually met him in omaha he was there to study with this famous harp teacher i moved out to denton to go to college he came out with me we got our band together right out of college my first gig i, I spent like a couple months in uh, caracas venezuela we had mm. a, we had a ho- house gig at a couple of hotels there it was me Carlos and this Brazilian percussionist. So my love of world music and Latin music started pretty young. You know, I was like listening to all that music, playing it. Um, But yeah, then I was in Dallas 
and I was playing with Joe McBride, world tours, all kinds of fun little weird gigs around the world we did. And we were playing a festival in Dal in Fort Worth. And uh, I we were on the same bill as this sax player named Richard Elliott. And Richard Elliott had a guitar player named Richard Smith. Mm-hmm. I knew of Richard because he had songs on the the uh, smooth jazz station in Dallas. And I loved his playing. He's a great, amazing guy. And I was like, this guy is the shit, you know? And so he was playing with Richard. He heard me play. I heard him play. We met after the show and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? Well, I just graduated from North Texas and I'm gigging around Dallas, doing some sessions, playing with Joe, doing this. And he goes, man, have you ever thought of getting, getting your master's degree? So long story short, he brought me, he brought me out to get my master's at USC because he was the head of the guitar department there at that time. And uh, he basically hooked me up with like a full ride. I came to LA. I started teaching at USC immediately as part of my master's program. Yeah. And I, I got a master's in studio jazz guitar performance and the rest is history. I, I kind of stayed on board over there through my whole career and, been there for 25 years and it's been incredible yeah so you know it was it was a stroke of divine intervention it was the fork in the road as they say you know you never know yeah you never know where that's that person you meet that changes your trajectory 180 degrees so that was it has it been weird to uh teach like zoom stuff the last year like teaching music this way has it been a challenge it was at first, yeah. but but um, I gotta say, man, I don't know that we'll ever go fully back. Hmm. Zoom, Zoom has its advantages, you know, and our guitar students have thrived. I'm gonna go out on a limb and just say they're kicking ass and hmm. they're doing amazing work, and they we're providing the best that we can under the circumstances, and they are able to get the work done and grow in certain areas where we would have never had the focus, you know, like on their recording projects and their compositions and their tone, their, their, their file delivery, you know, stuff, their professional, you know, studio work, um, their, their reading, their just, yeah, the ensemble has been taken off the table for now, but we're going to get back into that. And they're all going to come out of it with professional recording chops. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So, you know, so it hasn't been all all doom and gloom. Uh, a lot a lot of people just dug into their instrument. You know, they went deep. They're like, I'll never have a, a chance in my life to focus on this. It's and true. I think at some point before I let you go, I probably... In January, February, at the beginning, you know, last year, when it became clear that uh, this is going to be like this for a while, um, unemployment's coming, you know, I might as well be creative and like write about what's going on. Totally, man. I love that you're doing this podcast. I, you're inspiring me to, to, to consider it. I think it's so cool. What a, what a great way to like, Another creative outlet, like you said. It I mean, is. It's weird, man. This is this is a creative um, experience. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And you know what's yeah. interesting? Um, you know, I could talk to you for hours, but 
but I am aware of the fact that people's attention spans are so small that I try to keep it around an hour or so. Cool. But my point is, is that I feel like we, you need a podcast, not you or I, but people are so distracted and people are so used to having the phone on the fucking dining table or whatever that it requires a microphone and like a, a podcast date to actually like have this type of engagement uh, and, and just in general now because it, it's like so difficult. Like I feel like these types of conversations used to be had all the time, you know, 50, you know, because people didn't have Netflix to watch all day and their phones. And like, it, it's almost like this somehow creates an environment where like, I hear your voice in my headphones. So like, I'm really feeling the tonality of your voice. And it, it does create this experience that uh, is unlike anything that I have ever done. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make any totally. sense? Totally. I love it. Yeah. I think it's great. Man. I think it's great. Uh, yeah. It, it's like hanging out with people for, for an hour, you know, like, and not being, like you said, distracted or it's very intimate. And I find zoom to be that way. You know, I feel like I have a deeper connection. Honestly, I, I hate mm. to say it. It sounds so futuristic and weird. But like you said, I'm in headphones a lot of times where I'm just right here. And the one-on-one -on -one sort of intimate nature of this is actually really cool. And, you know, I feel like I know my students better than I would normally, especially classes. Hmm. Eight or ten students in a class, I get to know them pretty well in this environment. Whereas if we're running around like in a in a space and playing it's really loud and it's chaos and everybody's like going up on stage and you know that's a beautiful thing don't get me wrong <laughs> but but the way i had to format a couple of the performance classes is quite different and i really kind of feel like i know my students a little better hmm. so. it's it's strange i i guess the last thought is i don't know i i feel like um we are becoming more used to a a window being up you know like i, I feel it's strange like i i i can't help but wonder what um you know this this glass mirror that's in front of us right now um, there does seem to be there's always like it's like we're getting used to the separation somehow and uh i mean what is that doing to people's brains and and just the the I feel like brains, you know, the expand. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but I, I feel like they're not going to be as expansive. Like they're going to get somehow, yeah, slightly. Uh, they're going to just not experience. Like, like, look, this is clearly. You're right. I agree with you. This is an intimate, wonderful experience, but. It would be different if you know we were at Genghis Cohen having a beer, yeah. you know, and, and having the conversation there. I, but I don't know. But would it be better? Maybe not. I'm not sure. It's just you know, it's just something I think about. You know. Yeah, I think it's a valid point, and it's going to be really interesting to see how what the future looks like 
having gone through this because things are not going to return to what was previously normal. I mean, no. we've already established that. We're, we're not going to go all the way back, but man, I, I feel good about what's going to happen with people's connections and, you know, music, live music, when it does come back, um, events, you know, celebratory gatherings, people hanging out together, you know, traditionally speaking. Yeah. So. Well, cool. So, I'm optimistic, Eddie. I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's that slightly glass <laughs> glass half empty attitude really... that has that has inspired my music for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it up, man. Half full, baby. Half full. Yeah. Well, I I I um somehow I'm I I I can psychologically go there when it comes to my creativity but in my day-to-day life i'm a relatively happy guy so there there you go (laughs) well i appreciate you um give me the name of the record because i forgot it again but i'll say to be it's called montecito heights that's like the neighborhood i live in and and the music was made in in that world and i just was like i'm gonna call it montecito heights because my whole covid experience was like working in my studio, going for a hike to break up the, you know, going up the Debs Park in our neighborhood. There's a great hiking area. Um, going outside, hanging out on the porch. Yeah. Going back in the studio, teaching some lessons. You know, <laughs> it was all very confined. A lot of it was confined to the Montecito Heights zone. So I, I called it that. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, the record's called Montecito Heights. It's on Bandcamp now. I'm sure it'll probably hit all that other stuff in the next, like, uh, you know, month or two. But yeah, uh, but that'll go, be out in the in the end of May. But go to my, but go to Bandcamp and buy it there instead of all Thank the you. yeah, because that's yeah. right. Was it timcobza.bandcamp.com? Yeah, cool. Tim, thanks, thanks so much for for doing this. It was great. Yeah, the pleasure was mine. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, I really I appreciate it. Likewise, man. <laughs>